Hello, everybody. Welcome to Quantum Witch Cafe, your safe place to talk about anything fringe, paranormal, strange, UAP, occult, you name it. Or, you know, UFO if you're old school. You know, UAP is the new term that everybody's throwing around. There's even another one that I will choke on if I try to say too many letters. But <laughs> these things go everywhere. So they go under the waters. Now they have to add that in. But anyways, tonight, um, before I get started with our great guests, I want to thank anybody in the chat I see Disclosure Team, Vinny, stopped by earlier. I know it's late in the UK, so um, if you're messaging us, um, wow, you're up late. But thank you for being here. And then also <laughs> I see Laura, Kat, and Steph. Thank you so much. Um, you remember Steph from the Disclosure Team panel, so I you remember. Um, but all these awesome ladies in the chat, if you're listening now, thank you. If you're listening later to audio only on Anomalous Podcast, thank you. Share, subscribe, leave feedback, all that stuff. But um, I think that's all I have to say. I'm going to get into our guest tonight. We have Britt Barbieri, and she is an amazing person. I'm going to have her introduce herself because I like to hear people introduce themselves. Britt, tell everybody if they haven't heard about you, who you are, what you do. It's a lot. So I'm going to let you <laughs> tell everyone. She does it all, guys. <laughs> I, I will put it in a quick lump sum. I'm a, uh, a ufologist who um, basically studied to be certified with 150 plus hours or whatever with studying of being ufologist. Um, cryptozoologist, paranormal investigator, been doing this for roughly now almost near 21 years, if not a little bit more than that. Um, currently, I'm working pretty actively in the UFO community right now. I know it's called UAP or whatever else they want to call it, or however many letters they want to add to it. Um, but I'm actively involved in that, handling that with my production partner, Ben Hansen. Um, and we are actively involved working with pilot reports right now coming from all over the world right now, with all different pilots. Um, and that's been keeping us really busy. I have almost what looks like a crime scene map on my wall right now, full of just nothing but names, pilots, dates, and where they saw the objects. So... Wow, that's very, I'm sure they're, you're getting bombarded right now because I'm sure a lot of them have seen things and they just were afraid to talk about it before. And now we're seeing people focusing on pilots for as credible witnesses, not only because, you know, they have their schooling behind them, but also they spend a lot of time in the sky. So they see a lot of everything. And if you're a pilot, you've probably seen some balloons in the sky and you've probably seen Jupiter, right? So hopefully yeah. you're not getting confused all of a sudden with um, with those. But I mean, I'm sure it happens from time to time, but most probably not. <laughs> um, it's not like there's a lot of blimps floating around anymore. So no. um, what I wanted to talk about tonight, though, is mostly for people that are new to sky watching or want to improve their sky watching skills because – more and more people are becoming interested in the topic. We're seeing more people organizing to do these UFO watches, night sky watches, even the whole, um, you know, the, the CE5 type meditations where they try to call one. So more and more people are looking up because we're hearing about it more. So it's becoming more of a possibility for people to say like, hey, I saw something weird. I want to talk about it now or I want to go see something weird. So I'm going to go sit in the middle of the forest or the desert or wherever you are yeah. to see things. So what are, let's start with what are some good kind of ground rules if somebody is going out to look for anomalous sky phenomena? Um, well, for starters, you know, there's... um. 
right now it's really hard to do sky watches. And I say this because our skies are so heavily packed right now with Starlink and different types of satellites that, I mean, we have hundreds of thousands of satellites around the globe right now that we don't even realize. Um, so there are certain characteristics that we do really need to pay attention to. Um, a lot of times certain flights um, can be misidentified depending on which direction you're sitting and their landing lights. You know, people um, aren't really aware that they can actually put on their landing lights way prior. So, you know, when you're flying in a plane and the pilot says we're going to start our descent, those landing lights just came on. And you know how long it takes you, like 30, 40, 50 minutes, and as an hour to get to, you know, you're finding the landing zone. So the landing lights are on. Um, and basically from whatever area you're coming from, it's just going to be a giant sphere. It's just going to be a giant white sphere. And for a lot of people, it'll look like it's getting brighter because it's coming closer to you until it veers. And then you're like, oh, there's the flashing lights, whether it's red, green, otherwise. Um, <clears throat> so a lot of times you just have to Try not to get too excited right away because 99% of the time it is going to be explained away, whether it's a, an aircraft, debris, um, a satellite. Um, you also have to take into consideration if you are around any military locations that they actually do night dive training. Um, and a lot of people aren't aware of this, but they have flares on them so that you can see them. So there's footage all over the internet of these night dives that happen and you'll actually see these lights that look like they just appear and start to form out. Sometimes they will make a shape and then they'll disperse and then they start to go. And then all of a sudden, one by one, the lights start fading out. Well, that's just because they're starting to get to where they need to do. So they turn their flares off. So these are like night dive drills, you know, night training, whether that's Navy SEALs, whether that be military, army, whatever. Um, so always keep that in mind too. That's not always UAP activity. When you're looking for a UFO or a UAP activity, you're going to, especially at nighttime, nighttimes are, you know, probably the easiest because the sky, depending on where you are, could be really vague. Daytime, love daytime sightings because you can easily identify it right away. That's like the golden ones, right? But at nighttime, you know, you really want to look for objects that are going to shoot in really ridiculous directions really fast. We're talking high maneuvering, high fast speed maneuvering. Um, if you're following an object that's going in a, in a very straight pattern, and it gets really bright, fades away, and then it might pop back in and get bright again and then fade away again. 99% of the time, that's just satellite or space junk. It's just traveling on a trajectory that it's supposed to go in. And that brightness that pops up is either hitting the sun, the reflection of the sun around our sphere, or it actually has its own pulse basically from its own engines, you know, thrusting it. And it's just getting enough um, to go and you're going to get different lights that are hitting it, um, be, you know, a lot. There's so much to that with shadowing with our atmosphere and, and the earth. Um, but you're going to look for something. You'll see it. And and I've seen it. You know, there'll be something you're following and it's a light. And you're like, oh, crap, what's that? And you're watching it. And all of a sudden it will stop. It doesn't move. It just stops. And it changes direction. It'll do 180 completely different direction. Um, and a lot like what our pilots are seeing right now, we have objects that are Staying in one area, they're not moving, they're not going on a different pattern, they're not staying on a singular, you know, trajectory path. They're actually having a mind of their own. And by that, I'm saying they're actually circling each other. So they're orbiting and creating a pattern around each other. That is not a satellite behavior. Satellites do not do this way. That's not, that's not, <laughs> it's not possible. Um, and we also have some that they actually will come spiraling like this down and stop and then shoot off. 
that again is obviously not a training, a satellite, a meteor, nothing. That is what you want to look for is crazy, strange maneuver behavior. And then I also recommend for people to download like flight radar. Um, things like this are really useful. The satellite app, there is a satellite app you can download right now to your phone and it'll actually show you what satellite is in your area right now. So it'll tell you when the next time you might see the satellite in eight hours and nine hours, or, Hey, you're going to see it now in 20 minutes. So it kind of gives you an idea of a retrospective. Oh, okay. This is probably this satellite I'm looking at. Got it. Or, Oh, I've got three flights. Guarantee you that's that plane. And then sure enough, it's that plane. But that's another useful tip. Always have these apps ready available because they really help you figure out because every aircraft in the sky has to be identified for safety. So yeah, even like the little Cessnas, <laughs> little private owners, they still have to say, hey, I'm up here 15,000 feet and so on. Yeah, those are some great ideas with the, especially with the apps because satellites, like you said, like they can catch different lighting in different areas. If there's um, lightning far away, they can catch that light. Um, there's even that phenomenon called where they lightning sprites mm -hmm. where it looks super weird and people yep. are, are, you know, magnetic anomalies. Like we see that in um, the Northern part of the world the, with the auroras. Exactly. So, and sometimes they don't look like what you see on um like on postcards <laughs> or you know no, that's like the best no. of the best because when i lived in alaska sometimes it would just be like a little green blob in the sky like a little light you know um and yeah. it was moving weird so it catches people's eyes but with clouds around and other things around it could totally look anomalous when yeah. it's just a little bit of like magnetic activity in the sky yeah. so those are some good you know those are some good guidelines to start with. So what are the main differences that people can see? Because I feel like a lot of things that people are describing end up being um, satellites because they're not as obvious as planes. And we are seeing more and more satellites like Starlink hopping up everywhere. Um, other private companies are just launching them up. <laughs> so, um, you know, if you look at the map, we were talking about this a little bit before. If you look at the map of space junk and satellites in our atmosphere or in orbit, it's it's astonishing how much is up there. Like, yeah. how do we even get to leave the planet if we're shooting, we're doing, you know, um, like uh, <laughs> putting things up in space or putting people on the space station? <laughs> like, they really yeah. have to calculate that. So, what what is the biggest difference besides the movement? Um, I know that those were um, with the five observables, right? Like hypervelocity mm -hmm. speeds, quick changes in direction, um, yep. stuff like that to keep an eye out for. But what what is your biggest telltale sign that this is a satellite versus a anomalous object? Is there anything uh, other than like the sporadic movements? Yeah, the fade out. So with a satellite, when it does, you know, hit past the shadow, it catches the sun's glare or anything that it can reflect on, you know, you're going to catch the wings of that satellite basically. And that's what you're getting that glare. Um, it's a fade out that happens. So it's, it's following, you're getting the sunbeam hitting it. So it's illuminating really bright. And you're like, wow, that's so cool. What is that? And then all of a sudden, guess what? It fades away. It doesn't come back. So it's gone. You know, now you've moved on to another one that's going to appear lower. My maybe 10, 15 minutes later, another satellite. But that object has now faded away. So the fade out is a real key fact. Um, a lot of UFO UAPs, they will, in some cases, like get really bright and fade almost to where it's nothing and come back. And, and it has a very different pulsate to it. Um, 
but it stays lit the entire time as it continues to go. It's not just a, a fade out kind of um, instance. So that's something else to, to keep mind because there's, and I'm honest to God, it's the path, the pattern of it. You know, you'll have that fade out, but you can tell when a satellite is on a pathway and it's just going, you'll watch the UAPs will jog. They don't stay like they jog. You know, there's a, there's a movement there that the satellites just don't have. And again, the naked eye is really hard. It's really hard to look at it from the ground because no matter what we think, we do have a lot of um, visual debris. And by that, I mean, we have clouds, we have basically like light around us, depending if you live in the city, if you don't, I mean, really the clearest place to see this, I hate to say it is like out West, you know, in Tucson and where it's beautiful dry skies at night, you can just look straight up and see stuff moving um, and really track it or being high up in the plane, like the, the like the pilots are. Um, so all of that really hurts us. Um, but if you can, and you have the money, our iPhones really don't help. Um, trying to capture them that great. But there are some really good quality night vision cameras and binoculars that also record um, that are available on Amazon that are really great for night watches because it really can zoom in in a clear respect and actually look at it and go, oh, no, I can see that that's satellite. Or no, I can see that as this. You know, there's just different ways that they'll look in that scope. Yeah, for sure. The night vision I've seen... There's a guy on Instagram Instagram named Jason. He goes by Jason. I think it's Jason Sarasi, and he's got some numbers in his handle. But he uses – he lives in Nevada, or I think mm -hmm. that he's somewhere in Nevada right now. And he does um, – he uses these paratemporal night vision glass um, binoculars, and he, like, rigs his phone to it. But he's he's getting, like, footage. But he also has another crazy night vision thing. But he uses both. But that's when – during his videos, he'll point out like, oh, that that's a satellite or that's a plane. But this one appeared around 333, you know, and it was yeah, doing this yeah. and that. What are some good things for people to know? So say they ruled out the satellite, they ruled out the plane. It It's doing some movements that are not uh, expected from, you know, um, the prosaic explanations that we might see in the sky. What What is good for them to know? Because I think that I think that Vinny, somebody had posted a video and Vinny had mentioned something on it. I was like, that's a good point. There's not a lot of context around it. So you can have a great video of something anomalous, but not have any context. And then you also almost, you almost have to automatically throw it out. Um, so what are some other things that people should take note of? So they've got their night vision with their videoing it and they found some cool thing that can't be explained. What other things are notable like what should they add to their um to their situation or to their experience or to the video um you want to add length of time so how long the account takes place length of time um if there's more than one object that appears around it or near it um again trajectory of path um i mean it's you know when it comes to night watching it seems simple, but it's not that simple. Um, and then basically, you know, so you have your time, you got your time stamped, you've got your ruling out of your different, whether it be airplane, whether it be satellite, whether it be military, um, 
Also make sure you're aware of where your constellations are because at certain points of night, certain constellations, certain stars in those constellations can look much brighter than they would at other certain times of the night. So make sure that you have a constellation map to make sure that you aren't observing a constellation actually moving, um, which is, it seems odd, but it has happened. Um, <clears throat> be sure you're aware of where Venus is. Venus is the number one biggest misconsumption of freaking, you know, UFOs, UAPs. And let me tell you, I'm right there with you. I understand it. it pilots have even been like, oh, no, it's Venus, guys. It's Venus. Um, <clears throat> been this way since the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. I mean, it's just on and on. Venus is like the number one. We hate you, Venus. Um, <laughs> so, you know, make sure you really do know your star placements. Pay attention to storms. Make sure that your storms, um, dry lightning is a number one in the sky, especially out west. Um, you will get these little sparks. It almost looks like a portal opens up and closes. It's not. It's literally weather. Pay attention to rocket launches. Pay attention to those timestamps, those schedules. Rocket launches are another killer. Um, also, I hate to even mention this, but Chinese lantern, lanterns for birthday parties and functions and stuff are another tall tale because they get in groups of numbers and you've got a lot of people shooting off high amounts and numbers of these Chinese lanterns that eventually burn out. But when you see it, it is a glowing red ball from wherever distance you are. Um, and then all of a sudden you're watching it, you're filming it, and then you're like, oh my God, it just disappeared. It disappeared, you know, because you really think it disappeared. But no, the flame burnt out because it got to a certain part of the atmosphere. So always pay attention to that. Another one that people forget about, balloons. And I don't mean like the Google balloons, because those are another big problem, or the weather balloons. I'm talking about party balloons. You would not believe how many times at night birthday party or function balloons that break loose and get loose and are just traveling through the atmosphere capture light. And from where we sit versus where the altitude is, it's very hard to sit there and go, oh, is that 20,000 feet or 50,000 feet? Which once it gets to a certain altitude, it does pop. But there is a window there where it can catch just normal light reflections of cities and nearby towns. And it looks like a flying object. So it is extremely important to make sure you have the right gear um, to basically zoom in on these things and get a better view. And a lot of the time you'll be able to rule it out based on how long you have this in your visual. The visual aid of time, paying attention to the clock, that's what's really going to help you. Satellites, you can almost clock it minute by minute. The latest one now by Starlink, which is the new flare satellites, they're pulsing. So it's a real big throw upside down for everybody because now we've got pulsing lights, which used to be an old indicator of a UFO. Well, now that's not. So the only thing I can recommend, which I've studied these videos now, is literally clock it with your watch. The moment you see it, watch when it fades out, clock it, how many seconds that was. Guarantee the moment it goes to flare out again, it's going to be on the same synchronous, maybe a, a second or two apart, but you're going to be able to clock it to your watch. If you cannot clock it to your watch and it has almost a mind of its own, it is not the new flare satellite. Keep that in mind. Yeah. So you want to be studying videos of, of satellites and planes oh, even. And oh, yeah. um, things, in the, if you see a balloon, if you're actually into this, it's not going to hurt to take a picture or a video of it for comparison because mm -hmm. you have to have almost like your, 
your control. Like this is a balloon. There's, this is a plane at night. This is a satellite at night and I'm looking for things at night. So if it doesn't look like these, then I need to, and it doesn't match any of my, you know, apps or stars, then it's definitely worth, you know, keeping and yeah, looking more into, not that you can look into it. If it's a UFO, sometimes they're just gone, but <laughs> most of the time True. they're just gone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so really done- it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt at all to just continue to look up as many videos as you can and, and go through them all. I mean, it really yeah. doesn't hurt because once you get a better, um, a, a better look at some of these videos of like daytime, nighttime captures of just other objects mm-hmm. in the sky, you'll kind of sit there and go, Oh, okay. Okay. I now see now I know, now I know what I need to look for. It really helps you visualize instead of just verbally explaining it. You know, you really got to visualize and got, get eyes on it. Right. <clears throat> and you learned a lot about this. You, how you said you had to do like crazy how many hours did you have to do for your certification because um you can get certified in ufology right or yeah um, so there's not very many out there um classes but the ones that are out there it sounds like you took one that was pretty serious and you talked to me about this a little bit before we got on how many hours did you have to study the sky would you say just studying the sky (laughs) for myself has been like I probably like my whole life, <laughs> right? Right. But, but just for um, the sake of the the course that I took, I took the course specifically because it's interesting. Because you know, old school ufologists, it wasn't about taking an online course study because there never was such a thing. It was, um, you know, basically it was you're in the field, and that's really what makes you a ufologist is being in the field. You know, you you can do all the work from your computer, but half the stuff that you read online isn't true. Um, and so you really have just got to get out there and meet the people that are seeing these things, see them themselves, where it was taken and, and boots on the ground. It, um, I was, I was lucky that I got a mentor, um, who was trained from J. Allen Hynek. So I've been trained the J. Allen Hynek way because after he left project blue book, when it closed in 1970 in January, he created his own investigative team called KUFOS, which was, you know, the center of UFO studies. And it's, it's still around today. And my mentor worked with Heineck in that field and worked alongside him and was trained by him. So I kind of had a different um, approach on investigating because of being taught through Heineck's, you know, kind of forefront. And then I wanted to be more in depth of learning space, air, you know, uh, weather, the sky, um, cases too. I wanted to know about cases because cases are a huge thing. People don't know a lot about the cases that are out there because they only hear about from 2017 to now, but people forget that these things have been going around since like the 10th century, 11th century, you know? And, uh, it's, it's, it's mine. It's baffling really like 11th, 12th, 13th century. There's literature from people written about this, even with USO activity. So it was all about 150 hours I had to do of high intensity of learning and putting on paper in tests through modules of what is this called? If you see this in the sky, which half of it, I'm going to be honest with you. I have literally forgotten. And I'm so glad I still have the course accessible online. So where I can be like, Oh crap, I gotta go back. Cause it is so much stuff that you learn that there are times where your brain just farts and you're like, um, give me a minute, you know, like, it's just so much. It's so much knowledge. But just in that course alone, it was 150 hours of learning different areas of of what you need to learn of what it could be to identify it. You know, and it was just it's intense. They even talk about swamp gas. 
We all hate swamp gas. <laughs> they talked about it. It was in there. And birds, birds, believe it or not, are like, it was a joke back in the day of Heineken, but it is still relevant now. I can't tell you how many times people send videos of birds because right, of the, when the they have their wings in, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, Ooh, I hate to tell you, but it's a bird, you know, but it's like, I get it. I can see how you thought it was something else. I get it. Yeah. One time it was like super. I was like, what is that? It looks like a black ball in the sky. And, <laughs> and I went and got my little monocle, the telephone line. And there was just this little black ball. And then I, when I got my monocular, I was like, it's a bird. It's a fat bird. <laughs> I'm like, what is that? You know, if you see anything in the sky not moving, like if you, you're going to go get your, you know, binocular and monocular to look at it because you're like, <laughs> it's just listen to do, I guess. Listen, girl, I am, I'm horrible. My husband's always like, are you driving or are your eyes on the sky? Because like, I am terrible, but I have been, I have been so like, and I, I even hate to admit it the ufologist but hey you know what we're human but i have been stumped by helicopters <coughs> and i'm not lying i have been traveling <laughs> late at night seeing a helicopter going that's not what is that because it's not moving you know and all of a sudden i'm like i'm gonna turn this car off the, over. <laughs> the husband and kids are like why are you pulling over <laughs> <laughs> exactly be like listen i may get abducted but god dang it it was worth it so i'm like you know i just you, you just gotta stop you know don't be a don't be afraid or ashamed. Like if you see something and you're really unsure what it is yeah. and you Love take it. a thousand <laughs> photos of it, who gives a crap if it's a bird or a helicopter, you're doing I mean, your job. They usually bring you back after you're abducted guys. So even if you do like, <laughs> just try to stay awake, just, you know, don't let them knock you out with the alien juju mind power take tricks <laughs> from the room and bring it back with you, please. That's all I ask. It's, it's just want an object. <laughs> So simple. Maybe they make you go through one of those like decontamination things on the way out before they put you back. It's like one of those clean rooms where they spray. That's true. They might. I always kind of thought, is it like Galaxy Quest, you know, where you like just get into this liquefied weird jelly? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if I'd like that very much. Know, it depends. <laughs> there's so many different types of, types of slimes around right now. Some of them feel pretty good. You know, there's this cloud slime. If it's cloud slime jelly, I can handle it. If it's like jelly jelly, then no. No. Anyway. Yeah. Let's stop thinking about getting into vats of slime with aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fun, but you know. <laughs> so, um, what, what? So we say you were going to teach a class. Oh boy, what would your? Okay, so this kind of is. I'm trying to think about a word this because I just thought about this when you were talking. I was like, "Where's her book? Like, I need her book. Like, you know, <laughs> where's your UFO I investigation book? <laughs> <laughs> um, because it yeah, seems like you know fine. so much and you've done a lot of, you know, field research and, and, and not just UFOs, you know, you do the cryptozoology thing too. So that's pretty amazing. Um, but what, um, so what would your like UFO, what would your ufologist kit have in it? So you've got some students and you're like, here's your, <coughs> your school list guys, <laughs> go get these things. What are like the top, maybe five things that you would tell them to get to start training with you top five oh, patience would be on that <laughs> list that wouldn't be in the book bag um because it's really hard i mean it's not going to happen right away when you go out there it's definitely got patience um <clears throat> definitely have there's several different 
cameras. And I kind of cheat this a little bit because I have some good Nikons that I've had over the years because I was a professional photographer and stuff. So I, I still like to use my Nikons because the pixelation and zoom in quality is pretty decent. Um, but if it's like, okay, we're going to set up quickly. It's going to be a nice night watch. Uh, laser pointers are good. Again, always remember you can get arrested for <laughs> pointing this out of freaking pilot. <laughs> so don't be pointing that bump into the sky and pointing at planes. You'd be like, hey, right there. Do you see that right there? Don't do that. You will get, you'll get really in trouble. Um, but laser pointers are good only because if it is a clear sky, you can't get in trouble for pointing at a, you know, a constellation or a star system. As long as there is not a plane or aircraft in the facility, you are okay. It is okay to have one out in the sky. Um, at least that's what I was told. If I'm wrong, then I blame all my teachers because it's their fault for telling me that. Um, so laser pointers are always good. A notepad, you know, make sure that you do have a good watch on. A notepad is really great. You've got to take notes. What you're visually seeing, write it down. You need to make sure you've got it written down, time stamped and everything. Because if it ends up being an actual UFO UAP, you want to have that logged. Because the time and the day, so super important, important. Because if you don't have access in the field in your top five things, like your cell phone should have the basic apps. So in the field, no matter where you are, those apps normally always work. So you need a good um, a good notepad, your your phone for your apps to identify whether it's an airplane or a uh, certain type of satellite <clears throat> in the facility, a good camera or night vision binoculars, which they range anywhere between like $100 and up. Uh, my friend Ben's got one that we won't even talk about it, how much that is. I don't get to play with it. It is his. It is his baby and that is fine. I get like the nice little scopes when we go out that he, you know, you attach to your phone and you just have fun with it. Um, but they do have those really nice high quality scopes that you can get pretty reasonable. So I would recommend something like that. Um, and then really just if you want some music, earbuds, something for yourself to just lay low out there, you can. But it really is very simple to go out there. It's just a really good high quality camera, capture picture, zoom in videotape because your phone will not do the justice of it. Um, a notepad for time logging, make sure you have a watch on, um, a laser pointer just to point at constellations, be aware of your surroundings. A compass sometimes is very good because a lot of people are not very familiar where their North star is and where they're located. Um, so that is also very good. Um, I mean, it's pretty simple stuff. It's not like, you know, we're going out looking for Bigfoot. I mean, it's it's much different. A night watch is pretty simple. <laughs> we're going to do the Bigfoot list next, guys. <laughs> yeah. Get ready on that one. <laughs> I mean, switching gears, though, a little bit. You do. So you do it all. Like, <laughs> you're like the human, like Barbie, not just because your last name, but because... <laughs> or the one, not the blonde hair, not the last name, but because you know how Barbies, there's like, there's the Dr. Barbie. There's like, I feel like you need your own Barbie line or you're not saying <laughs> the ufologist, oh the crypto. <laughs> what would oh your, <laughs> what would your Bigfoot hunting list look like? Like you're going to go Bigfoot hunting. What do you take with you? Cause I have some friends. I more and more people are starting to get into um, the cryptozoology as well. Um, and what do you even take? Like, obviously you want to go with your camping gear, but to yeah. capture or, you know, what, what is your list that you take for, I don't know, I hate, say, I hate saying ghost hunting or Bigfoot hunting. It sounds like you're trying to mount the like thing. Like a Bigfoot you know, Yeah. Yeah. 
It's investigating. It really is just an investigation. Yes, yes. At the end of the day, you're just investigating. The biggest thing that <clears throat> has happened, and I will say this briefly, with like cryptozoology, really over the last, God, I don't know, 10 years or so, it's become so like folklore-esque. And, that, and that's not the case. You know, it originally started because these were animals not known by science. And I have a background in animals. I grew up in animal, exotic animal ranch, shown animals. I mean, I've handled large reptilians all, all the way through and trained them. Um, I was an animal trainer for many, many years, still do animal training and, and rescue and things like that. And um, and I'm dealing with my brother who has crocodiles and alligators and things like that. And, and so these things, you know, so when you hear cryptozoology, people think, oh, it's like folklore, fairy tale. And it's like, no, 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 no. This was based on animals that are not known by science, whether they went extinct they didn't, and science thinks they have, but surprise, they're back. Or they've just never been discovered, and they're just unmarked, and science hasn't recognized them yet. And the biggest one I always pull up is Komodo dragon. I know I say that a lot. It's on my page. But people just don't even realize it. Like the Komodo dragon that everybody sees now, like it's no big deal, until the 1930s, that was literally a cryptid. Nobody believed this guy, that he was seeing these large dinosaur-looking creatures. So for me, Bigfoot in cryptozoology has always been like my baby. Like I love Bigfoot, obviously. And you see my wall. Um, but it's really simple. Like for Bigfoot, if you're going out, you have to think of it like a forensic investigation because you are looking for DNA of this animal to bring back to say, ha suckers, you ain't got this in your system. I found it. <laughs> and that's basically, you know, what you're going out for is that that undeniable proof of DNA. So really, you can get everything you need on Amazon. I freaking love Amazon. I know I shouldn't say that, but I do like I do. And Amazon, if you're listening, I love you. Everything comes to my door. Thank you for that. Um, and last minute, like, I'm like, oh, shoot, I've got to go on this investigate. Amazon. It'll be your bed tomorrow. Done. I'm ready, guys. Um, <clears throat> literally, I have, so I have gloves. And the gloves that I have are cloth, like the the kind you would use if you were doing, like, you're touching antiques or something from, like, an archive. So and the reason I do that is because they they really help take away any kind of our our skin particles, anything like that, that could basically contaminate the DNA, anything you capture. So make sure you have gloves, good gloves like that. Also, the big misconsumption is vials for hair samples. You don't want to do that. Uh, vials are really bad because moisture builds up and it actually can damage the hair sampling or any kind of sampling you're pulling for uh, eDNA or DNA sampling, whether it be a hair fo follicle or whatever. And now eDNA is environmental DNA. So we shed our skin just like the animals will shed anything that they have. Um, so you can, if you think that an animal crouched down in this area <clears throat> or maybe like a Sasquatch made a nest and you want to sample collect that, you want to put it into an envelope. So make sure that your bag has envelopes in them, much like um, you can get, you know, vanilla envelopes, whatever envelopes you want. Tweezers, another good one. So tweezers, envelopes, <clears throat> excuse me, gloves. And then also make sure you bring your camera because you don't know if you're going to run into anything. And if you do, you want to be able to film it and take pictures of it and make sure your shutter is on the ready because you want to be able just to hold that puppy down and track it as it's moving. So like my Nikon, I can switch it on with the open and it just, just continues to take that full frame photo if it's moving, running, walking, whatever it's doing. Really, 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 really important in case you can't switch to your video for whatever reason. Capture the movement of the walking is going to help you immensely. And then a lot of my friends laugh at me 
but I do bring, and I don't know if I have it in here or not, but I do actually bring uh, my backpacks not in here. Um, but I do actually bring foot casting materials with me. I have it like already to go in a <laughs> little container and many flags. So I flag where the footprints I think are basically can mix it up with a bottle of water. I keep bottle of water in my bag um, and a small little container of this powder. I mix it up really quickly. I pour it in, I flag it so that wherever I'm at, I know I can come back to it in the morning or in three or four hours when it dries, I have quick cast. So it, it dries within like two, two and a half hours. And then I just take it and I put it in a box and we leave. So oh, you don't have to take it in a box if you don't, you know, if that's if you're staying somewhere, if you're going out for like a day investigation, just wait two hours, pick it up and just have like some, you know, like in your bag, you could even pack like a, um, a pillowcase you don't care about and just wrap it around and make sure your big fucking pillowcase. Yeah. I mean, just something simple. And then I always keep knives on me when I'm, I'm out, um, on that. And I know that sounds really crazy. I, I've been asked that before, like, what's my self-defense? But really, it's knives. You know, if you're if you're going to be brawling with something, you want to be able to quick stab. So keeping one on the leg, keeping one up on the arm is quick to grab, things like that that mm -hmm. you can stab if you need to to get away from something that's dangerous. Yeah, because a lot of the a lot of the investigation places, whether you're looking for uh, Sasquatch, other cryptids, or sky watching for UFOs. It's going to be in the middle of nowhere if, if you want to escape yeah. the light pollution, if you want to escape the light pollution for the UFOs. And if you're looking for Sasquatch, obviously, we know Sasquatch likes the woods. <laughs> so you got to go out there, you know, um, but because there's mountain lion, there's coyotes, wolves, all that stuff. So it's important to bring something. Oh, bears. Let's not forget about the <laughs> You forget about those lovely bears. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if you're with Brit, she's a wild animal handler, so it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not listening. I'm not going to go over and try and fetch them. <laughs> That's not trying to throw you the knife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Listen, so folks, how did you get into all this? How did you end up doing everything? Like, you do everything, and I love it because I feel like I could <laughs> ask you any question about anything weird, and you would know the answer. <laughs> but how did this start? I think that you got it. You get into this on. You've gotten on. You know, you've talked about this in other podcasts, and I think that you got into it a little bit on, on when we were on the panel together on Vinny's channel. But how yeah. did how did this start? You know, um, what made you? kind of gain interest in all these um, anomalous fields that we might find out are probably connected in one way or another. Yeah. Um, well, I'll make a long story short. Um, I was four years old when I, I saw my first apparition. Um, and that really, that stays with you. Um, and I told my family about it. They weren't alarmed. My mom and my dad were really cool about it. <clears throat> and then I, I found out that my grandmother was sensitive. She could feel things, sense things, sometimes see things. My mom had the same experience um, multiple times. And just kind of would push it out. Um, my brother is extremely in tuned. Um, tried pushing it out for the longest time. My oldest brother, excuse me, there's seven of us, but my oldest brother um, <clears throat> really tried to push it away. And, you know, finally just was like, whatever. Okay. I guess I can't ignore it anymore. It is what it is, you know? Um, but, you know, my whole family was really open to it. And my dad introduced me to Jalen Hynek and uh, Close Encounters and all this stuff when I was a kid and, and, and books of, you know, I never really enjoyed reading basic books. Like, I was like, yeah, I don't really want to read. Wait a minute. Is that about like ancient Egypt and mummies? And is that about like, you know, giants that existed years ago? Oh, I want to read that, you know? And so I always just kept reading these types of books when I was little and growing up in Estes Park, Colorado, you've got the Stanley hotel, you've got all this history of paranormal occurrences, whether it be 
And then, of course, I was born in Tucson, Arizona. So the stories of like, oh, last night we were on the porch and we saw some weird lights in the sky that were not a plane, you know, and you're just like, oh, OK. So it was around me like my whole life. <clears throat> there was no real um, there was nothing weird about it. It was kind of just natural, just something I kind of like grew into. And then I worked in film and television. I started um, in film and television when I was like seven years old and um, seven, eight years old. And then I just kind of kept doing it my whole life. And it didn't matter what set I was on. It didn't matter where I was. Paranormal always got brought up. And I always felt that was so weird because they'd always come to me. And I'm always like, I know I don't, is it on my forehead? Like, do I have it written on my shirt? Like, oh, you like paranormal? Come to this girl, two thumbs up. You know, like it just didn't make any sense. And then I remember I was talking to my mom one night on set because <clears throat> I was working at Vampire Diaries and I just was like, you know, I don't know what the heck's going on. And she's like, sometimes you're just meant for this. Maybe you can help people or there's something about it you can do. And maybe you just need to get back into it and stop trying to push it away. And so I did, you know, I mean, I, I, I finally was like, all right, fine. Like I did my own study, my own investigation, but I never really outsourced to people. I didn't want people to know what I was doing. Cause it still was very weird when you'd bring it up. You don't just like have random conversation. Like, yeah, I love coffee. Hey, I saw a ghost. Like it <laughs> which I've tried, which I've tried to make friends. It doesn't work. That's why I don't have any friends. <laughs> <laughs> on the playground oh this is my son oh your son's cute they're the same age i like to talk about you you know like <laughs> no friend game at all <laughs> no, you just can't it doesn't work it doesn't matter if you have a shirt that says something cool it just doesn't work it just doesn't work so you know you do you get to a point where you're like i'm just not gonna talk about it but then when people come to you you're kind of like okay yeah i guess it's okay now i guess it's cool you know yeah, let's talk about it um and then I just, I finally just accepted it, you know, and um, when I wasn't working or on set or working in film and television, I was creating, I was creating really cool different um, perspectives of how to look at the paranormal different than what, you know, film and television does with it right now. I, I just, from my own investigations, I've, I've come up with my own type of um, theories and conclusions of what some things may be and what they aren't. Um, and I just like you know, taking it, you know, like the bull by the horns, but I I'm so open-minded that I can't just read one thing and just be like, well, that's it. No, it's the paranormal is a huge, it is literally a tree. And there are just branches that just go in so many different directions that you just kind of have to read it all. You just kind of have to accept and go down that rabbit hole and just know how to get your way back out of it. Cause some of those are really deep, but you know, it's, it's fun to me. I love it. So I, I couldn't get enough of it. I just kept going down one alley after another and was like, well, now I've got to go down that way. Cause that's really cool. Who talks about that stuff? And well, I, I'm going to talk about that. So you can't help it. Which is very true. I always joke. I'm like, I always end up back with this UFO shit. Like always, always, you know, I was an early experiencer like you and my grandma was into mediumship and do late night tarot readings for people and, you know, um, go to their house to help them move the ghost on, help the ghost move on or the spirit move on. And um, so I'm like you, I was always into like encyclopedias, like what kind of like nerd six-year-olds sits there with like in old school encyclopedias and a notebook. I'm going to write down every religion, like, you know, or every spiritual belief, or I'm going to look all this, you know? Yeah. So, um, and these things find you, like, they just you. they just keep coming back. Either the people that want to talk about it or weird things. Like yep. I was at Catholic school in Phoenix, Arizona, is where I'm from, and um, there was a there was a there was a copy of Blue Book in the library, 
and I'm talking myself out of it. Like, well, why, why would that make sense? The whole thing was blacked out to begin with, you know, and yeah. I was just like, I thought I was going to like, <clears throat> I thought I, I knew that it was something because I had been, they had like those life. Oh my gosh. There's like a lot, they're black books. I can't think of the name of them right now. Um, but it was like a, a series of books that had like UFOs, witches, occult, um, psychic stuff. You know, it was just like a weird, I think lifetime mm -hmm. books made them. And it was tucked in with those. And I was like, I'm going to like find something. I knew there was something special about it. Yeah. And then the whole thing was like blacked out. Like I remember like getting in, checking it out, like getting into my room and like opening it up. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> because I didn't, I knew it was about UFOs, but I didn't know a lot about it at the time. I was so young. I was in grade school. So um, yeah. that, a lot of that resonates with me. I always end up back. I always end up back either reading about it or secretly studying it. But now I'm studying it in the open, obviously. But yeah, it's weird how it just draws you in from an early age. Or sometimes people just like it comes, they they get into it later. But I think that yeah. you can't escape it once you've kind of experienced it. Yeah. And it is like a tree because same thing with me. I'm like, oh, I want to go. I want to go like study, you know, haunted places. Or um, then there was a minute when I was in Kentucky. I was like, oh, my gosh, there's so many cryptids in Kentucky. Like I need to like start looking into that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so. Um, but it's, it always ends up back at like science and UFOs for some reason. Like I always end up back with the two, which they seem like, um, I don't think, I think they fall, they're going to fall together eventually, but, yeah. but people are like, you can't, you know, general science people don't believe that there's evidence for UFOs. So you have to deal with them. But at the same time, I think those of us are approaching the field of different sciences with what we've seen and what we've heard other people experience, right. um, we're going to look at it a little differently and maybe be just enough outside of the box where we might see something that can make it click for other people. So yeah. um, it's yeah. important. But like your mom said, like sometimes we're just meant to do this. And I'm like, I still don't even know what I'm doing, but I'm just doing it. Like <laughs> these things just keep coming up. So you said that you are, so you get to do a lot of field investigations or are you mostly getting I don't want to say bogged down because it sounds like um, a burden, which I'm sure it can be a burden at times to to get people's accounts, especially pilots when they're confused or even going through ontological shock because of something they've seen. Um, reality has totally changed for some of these people, even just from seeing one anomalous thing. Like it can blow somebody's like whole paradigm. So yeah. what what do you yeah. do? You get to do field investigation anymore? Yeah. Yeah, I still do feel like guess surprisingly enough, <clears throat> I haven't gotten a lot um, in like the recent months for any kind of uh, Sasquatch or Bigfoot activity here, you know, where I'm out in Florida for like skunk ape stuff. Um, there was a couple of times for Tennessee and things like that, which were really cool opportunities um, to go and do. But so the the cryptid side is has um, at this moment, it's more just my passion and love. I keep up with it. I keep up with those that are my my mentors and my, my good friends, like professor Jeff Meldrum, you know, I still touch in and just see what's going on and what's happening new in the field of cryptozoology. You know, unfortunately <clears throat> mainstream media, TV, stuff like that is really just not done it any justice. And it's, it's kind of becoming a joke topic, um, which really is disheartening and very sad because there's still a large group of people that are huge believers in cryptids. Um, but as far as like um, the UFO UAP side and uh, the paranormal side of, let's say, ghosts um, 
and spirits and ghost hunting and such that that's still very active for me. If I can fit it in and somebody asked me to come and investigate, I will. I'm not a, um, like a one night investigate person. If somebody's having an account, if there's a building, a facility, whatever, I, I, you're not going to get your answers on one night for like four hours. It's just not going to happen. You know, same thing with a night watch. One night isn't going to give you all your answers. You've got to do it multiple times and all these things take time. Um, so I, you know, those types of field work I, I love, I love doing because it's a data collection for me. It's like, it just continues to pile up when you get to go out and work in the field. And, and it is sad right now, right now. Um, sadly I am, I am kind of landlocked for most of my work at the moment, just because with the pilot reports, <clears throat> we have to, it's a lot of FOIA requests. It's a lot of audio listening. It's a lot of tracking the flight and getting all the data and getting the information from the pilots. And it's also a lot of uh, pilot privacy that we have to really be very careful on and work on because we're building and establishing a relationship with these pilots. And there's hundreds that are reporting in, you know, and we've got we've got 20, 30, 40 plus that we lean on quite a bit. Um, and that takes up a lot of time, you know, but I do make time if asked for an investigation to get back out there. Cause there's something about it. I just love there's, there's nothing better than being in the field. You know, I, I love my office work. I love what I do, but even today I, I still get excited when a FOIA arrives. Cause I feel like, Oh my God, there's something exciting happening again, you know, cause just sitting reading and listening for hours can be, you know, call after call and email after email. They're great and everything, but there's nothing like being in the field. There's just nothing like it. Yeah, for sure. I can see why you would get hooked. I did like my first um, paranormal. It was a public paranormal investigation because sometimes it's expensive to pay to investigate places. Mm -hmm. um, but I did a public invest investigation at Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Kentucky. And that was like, I was like, I need to do this like all the time. Like I just, <laughs> I had cool things happening. Unfortunately, because it was public, like a lot of the um, like audio from like, you know, like spirit box or other things I was using, I had to kind of, I couldn't really use it because there were so many people like walking around and opening and closing these old like iron doors and stuff. So I have it and I know like, oh my gosh, like that was something. But if I were to present it, people would be like, well, I heard doors slamming in the back and people walking around. So you were in a busy area doing an investigation, you know, like it was just kind of like to experience it really. Yeah. So I, I just did it because I really wanted to. But um, but that was cool. So I could see where people get, you know, addicted to it. So yep. um, that totally makes sense to me. Um, and you did kind of answer like one of the questions I was going to ask, like, what do you do like when when you get a pilot, you know, reporting something? So you kind of answered that. Um, so do you get like repeat pilots saying repeat things like are there certain people that kind of sort of attract these sort of things in your mind or is it just kind of like all over the place i think it, right now it's all over the place <clears throat> right now currently it's literally happening and i even hate to say it like this but it literally is happening almost every night every night on these red eye flights um and it doesn't even have to be a certain pilot or a pilot that's an experiencer or seen things like this multiple times flying it's it's even some newbies. We've got some new guys that are calling in saying, you know, I've, you know, I'm right out of flight school or I've been flying for 15, 20 years and I know the sky is better than I know my hands. And I'm telling you right now, what I saw tonight is, is not a satellite, you know, and, and these guys are really, they're really great, but it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's a whole, it's all over the place. It really is. It's so sporadic and all over the place. 
And I love when we get these reports in because it's really, it's just fascinating. Um, and I will, <clears throat> I will add, if there's anyone who wants a better, um, a better understanding or a better look at how the trajectory of a satellite does work and move. Ben and I uh, put together, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it takes you very old school. You're going to think Von Braun when you see it. And this is what it was cracking us up uh, when, when it was being made. But um, we have right now on uh, the, on the YouTube channel, Hypocenter 101, which is what Ben and I are working on for pilot reports. Um, and you can go back and see a lot of them, but the latest video that we just posted talks about how some of these reports could be satellites and why we feel that. And we, he does an actual explanation with a globe showing how a satellite moves around the globe and how it reflects light and how to kind of capture it. And he also recommends um, a couple of binoculars in that video. So if you go to YouTube on Hypocenter 101, you will actually see the latest video. Um, and I'll be sure to repost it again in my stories for those of you that do want to see it. But it is really, really good. Um, in regards to that. Awesome. So go check that out. Kat asked about binoculars, which you talked about. So also I have your link tree in the description. So I'm assuming they could find all that in your link tree or should I? Uh, the, hypo, the hypo center is new. We're still okay. um, building on that one, but I can, like I said, <clears throat> I think the hypo center, uh, no, it may not be. It might not be linked up in my bio, which I sh probably should do actually. So be looking in my bio. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there, guys. That, I'll put that YouTube <laughs> link in my bio so that people can go there. And then I'll add it to the description. So if somebody's watching later, they have it. Um, yeah. So uh, do you have time for a few questions? The hour is already flying by, but um, there's a couple of questions from the chat. Um, the first one is from Barry, and I'll put it on the screen. Um, what is Britt's opinion of the Aurora spy plane? Does it really exist? The Aurora spy plane. I'm not familiar with the Aurora spy plane. Not enough to make enough quote on it, to, to hmm. speak on it, on whether it exists or not. So that I will leave open. But Barry, if you come over to my page, I will do further investigation on it and get back to you. So that I will do. I'm not going to pretend like I know stuff I don't know, people. So let me look into it for you. I will dig into awesome. it and get back to you. Yeah, we have a Bigfoot question, and ah. um, this is Laura. She says, "How does Britt feel about the concept of Bigfoot being a person and not an animal?" <sighs> That's a tough one for me. I am what they call a uh, uh, what do they call that? Oh, I <laughs> forgot now what the term is. But I, I, I believe that Bigfoot's more of a, a primate. I don't believe that it's a person. Um, and I, and I understand that distinction when people talk about when they see Sasquatch or have had encounters like hunters and stuff like that, especially with the eye contact, they do have a very human like behavior about them. Um, but again, it could just be a very intelligent evolved primate, which I believe it is, or a relic of the Gigantopithecus, which was a very evolved erected ape that literally was like a human and just covered in hair. Um, so for me, I'm on the fence of it being, unless there's proof of DNA proof or whatever with a capture. But for me, I, I'm more on the ape side. So I guess it's called aper, I think is what they call us or whatever. If you're like, I think it's more of <laughs> an ape. Nice. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like just so we know. That's awesome. I think it's really interesting. And there's so many people that have seen stuff like that. Have, have you had yeah. any encounters 
yourself with Sasquatch or Bigfoot? Not visually, but <clears throat> I was eight years old. We were feeding on the ranch, my mom and I, um, late one night. And then growing out, <clears throat> growing up around animals and being in the wilderness and in the forest and in the Rockies, you know, I'm very familiar with like bobcat chatter, <clears throat> elk conversations. Um, if you've ever heard a, like heard, heard a deer die, it sounds like a woman is being murdered. It's the most horrible thing ever. Um, and there was one night we were there and it wasn't, it had to be like, now mind you, we had like six, seven acres or whatever. Um, and all of us on the mountaintop, we all had our own amount of acreage. But so when I say across the road in our neighbor's yard, that was probably a good like two and a half acres away. Okay. So we'll just put it in perspective there. We used to have like big grizzlies come through our yard. Elk herds would come through and eat the salt blocks. <coughs> so we would, we were out feeding by the barn and this God awful sound came from our, like our neighbor's yard, almost like making it known that it was there. And I've never in my life heard anything like this until I got much further into cryptozoology and much further into listening to vocalizations. Did my mom and I go, that kind of sounds like what we heard. And it literally made our hair. I dropped the grain bucket. I left my mom to die out in the barn. I ran in the house. <laughs> like I was like, you've got the barn and the llamas. You're fine. Um, and I came back out. I was like, mom, because I was like eight, you know, hello, like I'm going to run. And I came out. She's like, I'm fine. I'm in the barn. And we literally like, what was that? So we know, and I know that was probably my, my real good experience. And outside of that, <clears throat> investigating in the woods, it's, I've only had like sense of smells and foot tracks and some hair samples, but nothing visual. Like there it is. Cause I honestly think I wouldn't be here today. Like it would literally stop my heart just out of pure ex like excitement and just overwhelmingness of like, there it is, you know, like it's one of those, like, I just know I would be like, I'm taking you home and I'm naming you fluffy <laughs> or go with it. That's another option. Can you adopt me? <laughs> yeah, that's I, that, a lot of people feel that way, though, about um, all these things, all of these things. Some people are like, I find it so interesting, but I never want to see a ghost or I never yeah. want to see um, an ultra terrestrial or if I saw a UFO, like we were watching Unsolved Mysteries, the latest season on Netflix. And my husband's like, it, if that happens, we're getting out of the car. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But then yeah. I was like, wait, but like if my kids were back there, do I want to get them abducted? Because I'm out there like flagging down some UFOs. And, I yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. My driving. <laughs> I mean, I, I've seen so many things. And like, well, I, I, one of my, one of my um, triangular experiences was with my husband. He wouldn't stop the car. He just kept going. I'm like, what? But it's a triangle. Oh, yeah. Like I literally stuck my head out the window. <laughs> it was so close. I mean, the details of the thing were amazing. And he's yeah. like flooring it. I'm not stopping. And I was, he's like, it's not what you think it was. I'm like, oh, it's well, exactly what like, you know, like, like, you know, yeah, exactly. I and always joke. <laughs> turn around. He's never turning around. That car ain't turning around. I'm going to tell you right now. Yeah, oh, wow. I always joke with my husband. I'm like, we'll be watching some like unsolved, just blurt out a random answer. And I'm like, okay, mystery solved. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know I what know. it is? Okay, we can all go home. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, he says <clears throat> stop. So I hope we see one that way with him because he doesn't, he has not seen, he said he saw a UFO before, 
but he's mm-hmm. still not convinced. He would have to see the triangle, which, yeah. you know, <laughs> which is or probably the one of the most compelling, right? You know, I saw yeah. one from Phoenix to, I want to say Sacramento. I'm still trying to get a hold of that friend because I was traveling with her. And this is like preteen, like I think sixth or seventh grade. We were traveling to see her family in California from Arizona. And everybody was asleep except for the driver, her uncle, and I. And um, I was the only one that saw it in the desert, and it was like a triangle, and it did this like maneuver. And I was like, did you see that? Did you see that? And everybody was like still asleep. Yep. And then they made fun of me. They're like, you just you just watch the X-Files too much. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, but still, like I'm not going to oh, see a triangle. Just because I watch nerdy things doesn't mean I'm going to manifest a triangle. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, maybe, yeah, exactly. but, maybe. But I saw the triangle, and it was – doing some cool flip thing in the air and zipping around and i was like but did you guys see that but then it was gone like it came down and like yeah we were driving so it either landed somewhere or went back to a traversable wormhole i don't really know what happened to it or it went back to lockheed martin who knows <laughs> you who know? knows you never know Lockheed's been out there that's true yeah mine mine was stationary it wasn't moving no oh sound no gosh. nothing and he wouldn't yeah. stop no oh, man. he's not gonna stop when it comes to aliens, like he knows my work, right? And he sees all my books and, and everything like, that I'm nope. always involved in. And, you know, and he gets the opportunity once in a while to hear like the pilot chatter, you know? And so like, he'll be sitting there and like, you'll see him. He's like, you know, it's a note like, situation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's just like, oh my God, like, I don't want to know. Like, and so right. when I were talking about it and he's like, no, 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 you've, you've convinced me on the whole UFO. Oh, I believe you, know. you. I don't want to see it. <laughs> Exactly. That is exactly how he is. It has been convinced. He's convinced with ghosts and stuff like that. I've taken him on investigations. He tries to like make jokes and laugh his way through it because he's so uncomfortable because he believes in it. Um, but the only one that he and I go head to head on, obviously, is Bigfoot. He just doesn't believe that it exists. He, he doesn't think that it yeah. could exist. You know, and so I'm like, when we're driving through Ocala sometimes late at night where we have a lot of sightings, I'm like, I just want right now for one of you guys, just get a deer or something, just run in front of the road so I can be like, ha ha, you know, but it never happens. So it's yeah, so like land in front of the car, like land. Yeah. Like the- carrying the Henderson style, like just give right. me something. Like just jump out, stand there and then you can run. Like, I want to see you. Yeah. I think that would be like torture hearing all the, the calls, all the Bigfoot calls, like there is some, I can't remember what documentary I was watching, but it was talking, the guy was talking about, it was a bunch of hunters, I want to say California, in the super isolated hunting ground. They weren't even supposed to be camping there kind of thing. It was that desolate. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would go there year after year. And they had some makeshift like shelter there that only like certain local hunters would know were there. Yeah, they had to take like a horse there. Like it had to be, it was like backcountry. And they had these recordings of these Bigfoot calls that were just, these are hunters. Like they know what deer sound like. You know, they know the random sounds. Like animals make some crazy sounds, you know? Um, yep. So the, but the calls they recorded were just like, it was interesting. It was, yeah. it was like they say the whooping, you know, like the, like it's not just yeah. a normal sound. <clears throat> Oh, yeah, um, no, yeah, it's intense. So I have one, I have one more question inside okay. the audience, and then I have one more question um, okay. for you before I let you leave. Even though I could talk to you all night, um, <laughs> Kat asked if there's 
certain pilots who fly the same route and you said that no it's not certain pilots it's all over are there any like particular areas where you're seeing a concentration of these sightings like like yes. near okay yeah i mean in 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 regards to cat's question we do have pilots that take the same route on red eyes <clears throat> and it depends on the weather honestly but in some cases, depending on the night and the weather and how clear the skies are for them at whatever um, uh, altitude they are, whether it's 38,000 feet, some of our pilots go all the way up to 42,000 feet, they have reported seeing the, the, the same lights <clears throat> on the same route because it's, it's happening in the same general area. And right now, one of our main focal areas, which is, you know, my map here is, it's awful. I can't show that yet. There will be photos on my, because it's really looks like, you know, a murder Stop scene. her thing. I want to see the red yeah. twine going through this. <laughs> it's getting there. There, <laughs> there because, you know, Ben will, I mean, the reports come in and I'm like, oh my God, okay, I got to write that down. I got to put that in because it was good. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's a mess. But it's happening, which seems so odd. And, and again, these pilots are seeing them for like, <clears throat> like, at least an hour. Again, that's not satellite behavior. Okay. They don't move around the same pattern doing what they call these racetrack patterns, which is like an oval pattern where they're grouping and actually orbiting around something. But what's happening is we are seeing it and multiple pilots have confirmed this around the big dipper. So it's normally towards either the top, <clears throat> the top first star of where the handle would be to the very bottom of the star, but they're orbiting almost around those stars. And they're That's kind of on their own pattern and trajectory. Yeah. So <clears throat> a lot of them are reporting around the Big Dipper. So if if anyone's wondering, yes, if you have a fantastic scope and you have the Big Dipper in frame and you want to try and see from wherever you are on the ground, by golly, go for it and send me the video. Um, yeah, but just off the Big Dipper, if you've got a cool telescope that you can record with. <laughs> That's like that. My telescope here, I have it. I can record with it. Um, and I tested it out on the moon. Which is great. I stole it from my son because it's my son's, but I'm like, I'm buying <laughs> this. Um, I bought this for you for me. You're welcome. Merry Christmas. Yep. The uh, selfish gift. <laughs> They'll play it with it for like a week anyway, and then it's yours, basically. Exactly. I was like, listen, if I'm buying it. I'm going to make sure it's good quality and I can record from it. You know, I'm, mommy's going to be using this a lot more. But, um, <clears throat> but, you know, I don't know if the problem with the ground visual, you know, everybody always thinks, well, why can't you see it from the ground versus like the pilots? But you have to understand the pilots are so many thousands of feet up, right? Their visual up there is so much greater than what we have here on the ground because there is so much light pollution. We have so much here that we do not realize from our ground up. Seeing things at night is really hard. Granted, stars are stars. We know constellations are really clear night. That's great. But we're still going to have a lot of debris in our way. These pilots are reporting when they're 38,000 feet, 40,000 feet, 42,000 feet. I mean, these pilots are reporting this thing at an altitude of maybe 60, 70, 80, 90,000 feet above them. I mean, that's 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 way out there, you know? So if it's not a satellite, what are we looking at? What are we dealing with? You know, because really only a satellite could be at that type of orbit and altitude, but they're not going to be doing circular maneuvers or making, as some of our pilots have said, like an L shape. I mean, it just doesn't happen. These things don't happen. And, and Ben and I are working our next video. We have a couple of videos coming out, but we do have another video that'll be coming out with outlier cases where we want our viewers to really pay attention to what these pilots are saying to open your mind up to realize that what they're seeing and capturing is not a satellite. And they are like, guys, we've seen satellites. Like this is not a satellite. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. 
which <clears throat> we're waiting to see if someone would come through and be like, no, that's Starlink or whatever, but we're not. And as much attention as it's getting with the Today Show and everything right now with our pilots going on and discussing it, you know, we're not getting anything from them, which leads us to believe that some of these accounts just there just couldn't be satellites. And it just doesn't make sense to us. And we could be wrong, obviously, in investigations and being in this field. There's a lot of times you're wrong and that's OK. That's part of the that's part of the work. Um, but we have to do our due diligence for these pilots and for their protection. And honestly, for them, I mean, they're, they're coming to us because they have no one else to turn to. So it's just nuts. It's crazy. Yeah, it's also fascinating. And I think that yeah, I think that they do need now the stigma is lifting a little bit, but they still don't have like a secure place to tell somebody like, so, I mean, they're lucky to have you and Ben, but at the same time, um, you guys might end up just being like that. You are that person right now, <laughs> you know, so exactly. make sure you go check out her channel um, because it sounds like there's a lot of cool things on there. Sorry, the kids are having fun which i'm afraid of because i hear my husband snoring and the kids laughing so i'll find out later in about five marker, minutes marker <laughs> yep they're, they're, oh yeah it's a good idea let's paint let's get let's get mommy's red lipstick exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh poor guy just trying to take a nap we're over here marking him up um my question my final question because it's past the hour it's like the middle of the week and people celebrate thanksgiving which i always forget about because we're a military family it's just the four of us like i got yeah. a rotisserie chicken to reheat tomorrow we're making like so the sides are going to be better than the rotisserie chicken because it's like four it's like a three-year-old five-year-old my husband and i i'm not going to make yeah. a big turkey like my my son really wanted one but i'm like dude I really don't want to eat turkey for the next month because that's what it would turn into. It would be. <laughs> so yeah. We're just going to make some bomb sides and have our little rotisserie chicken <laughs> for our little family. Um, there you go. But my, my question is, what is the most compelling thing that either you've seen or you've studied from somebody else seeing? Like whether like it be Bigfoot, UFO, like what is the thing? Well, let's do UFO since we're talking about UFOs. What is the most compelling UFO case that you've studied or experienced? Like where you're like, how can people not? It's like, this is real people. Like it makes you want to shake people and show it to them. Honestly, I know it sounds so cheesy, but I have done because of my mentor, the work that's being done in regards to the Roswell incident, that is probably one of my most precious cases because of my mentor. The stuff that people do not know about that case is unbelievable. And the amount of literature they could read on it from deathbed confessions, which is what my mentor did. He literally, because of Heineck, when a military personnel was passing away or was getting ill and, and wasn't sure of their time, they had all of this that they were like, we just really need to talk about and get it off our chest from Roswell, from the incident of Roswell. And I mean, there's just hundreds and hundreds of pages of just their confessions of it. And the public is not aware. The public is not aware of how much that is the smoking gun. That is our turning point. If that ever comes to light as, as finally, they finally just take the, the, you know, the cover off the box and say, fine, forget it. We're not lying about it anymore. It did happen because <clears throat> there's just too much. There's too much. I mean, we know, we know, and I can say that with certainty from the investigation that was done for so many years, so many years past the incident of 47, that one of the living beings that were part of that crash lived for an entire year past 47 crash and was taken from base to base to base for interviews, interrogations to the that point to where 
And it, it, it is. It was tortured to death. They did so many tests on it. It was oh tortured goodness. to death. There was a nurse that had come forward talking about it almost made her sick. Like, I mean, there's so many things that came out that people just want it to go away in the military and in the government, but you can't make these things go away. You just can't, um, you know, and it was easier to use a fear tactic then in the forties and fifties than you can now. It's a lot different. Yeah, now. now people will be recording it with their ring camera. They got cameras everywhere, you know? Exactly. Um, but even when it comes to Roswell, it's still, it's still the smoking yeah. gun. It's still the one wow. that gets brought up in the house. And for me, it is the most compelling case of all. And the moment they can actually recognize it and actually come out and admit their wrongs, that's the turning point for all of us in this field, because that is the smoking gun. Doesn't matter how you want to look at it. Doesn't matter how you want to frame it. It is the smoking gun. There's proof of it. Wow. I was just thinking about that this week because I've been, I wanted to do more because it's crash retrieval week. And I, I, want, I had, I was researching cases like in between my classes just to give myself a break from what I'm studying like in school right now. So it's yeah. one of those things where like I'm, I'm finding some of these smaller ones that don't get talked about, but there's the back of my head is like, there's so much about Roswell, but what, what from it is ac accessible to us as normal people that we should pay attention to? Like what, what is like your, like, what is like, what would you recommend for people to start reading when it comes to the Roswell case, you obviously get to see a little bit more because of your mentor and his mentor, you know, um, yeah. but what is something like, like what, what is, I'm trying to word this right. What is the most reliable information out there on Roswell as far as books goes or anything like that? Go on to um, Don, Donald Raymond Schmidt, who has, he's, he's my mentor, but he's the author um, of many books. And within those books, there's a, a witness to Roswell. Um, oh my God. Okay. I have them. I have them all back there. Cover up to Roswell. Anyway, just go on. I'll harass you for a list and then I'll make like a post about it. Cause I think it's yeah, important because people are trying to write it off all of a sudden. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even um, Roswell, their own city seems to be wanting to write it off and you literally can't. It is our smoking gun. And for well, me, I have there a was a being. Especially huh? if there was a being that was being was treated. Five. Oh, wow. There were five. Well, we're going to have to have a two. part two on Roswell, everybody. <laughs> nah. Yeah, it's a big misconception of the Roswell. There's so much to it that is so misconceived over the years. And it's it's really sad how the media has doesn't even have the facts correct at all. Well, they've so. done a great job of making everything just sound so ridiculous. Like, like with the oh, Bigfoot yeah. stuff. It's been sensationalized and stigmatized to like the point where people still like people still even after the new york times thing which i thought was like a big slap in the face to people pay attention even if you ignore everything else and you're new to the subject this is a big deal like what's happening right now is a big deal the fact that they have not released another report that was mandated by law like well it's not done yet well, why not do you know what i mean yeah, yeah. so um it's because they're redacting it. <laughs> yes, that's what somebody said. They got there, <laughs> getting their sharpies yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. They're just redacting. They're like, "Oh, forget it. Pages. We're just releasing five right, pages. Right. Any of that? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Now people are like excited about Roswell. Um, she may know this guy's, but I don't admit what does Britt know what happened to the bodies. Um, I don't know if she can talk about that, but if you can, do you can you comment? Even if you can't. <laughs> uh, I'm. I'm. I, I'm. I think I can. I don't know if I'm, I think I'm allowed to say it. 
I think I'm allowed to say, I don't know. But yes, oh. <clears throat> what I will say, because I actually do, we do believe we know the facility that the bodies are still being held at to date. Okay. <clears throat> believe it or not. And that would include even the one that they tortured. Um, and by mm -hmm. tortured, I mean literally this. Uh, oh, well, really we know how they do humans. I can't imagine them. It's just, it's sad because mm -hmm. what happened was, now I'll say it briefly, the one that survived, the survivor is what he was called, or it was called, because there were five, three at the first initial and then two at the end. So it like, you know, basically the, the, the spacecraft kind of exploded because they believed it might've been hit by lightning. They're still not really sure exactly what caused it to explode and crash, but basically, <coughs> excuse me, um, when it basically broke into pieces, three were catapulted out of, at the first, there's three sites, but at the, at the, at the second or third site, three bodies were there. And then at the very end there were, or was it two, two and three, two and three. Um, and then at the, the last crash site, the others that were there, there was one survivor. Now, however, and it's stated in the most recent book by Don and investigated the actual military personnel who had to give this thing mouth to mouth to bring it back to life. So it was dying. And the general told him to keep it alive. And that is what he did. And they basically kept it alive to torture it for a year. And the the personnel who helped this being basically came back and at the end said, I, I don't know how I know this. I don't know how I, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's like, I knew what it was saying without it talking to me. And at that time, telepathy wasn't really something that was spoken about. They didn't really understand how that worked or what that was. We're talking 47. So he was trying to explain to his general how he knew. And basically this being said, I've accepted my fate. My crew is dead. I know what's to come for me. I've accepted my fate. That's what he kept saying to this personnel is I've accepted my fate. And for this, this personnel, it really bothered him because it was like, and it's something that I love that my mentor says all the time. We look at it like, oh, these aliens crash landed and this is so great. And there was dead bodies everywhere. You know, and that's how people talk about it, but you no. forget we had a crew of beings that had something happen to them that they weren't prepared for on a planet that they're not aware of people. They don't know. And that day, no matter how you want to look at it, they died. We had beings, people, in a sense, die. A type of being died and lost his crew, his brothers, on a foreign land. Just as much as if we have a crash in a foreign country and we could be, you know, not in a very good situation, we have to accept our fate, even though we're not comfortable with it and we're scared. We still have to accept it. What are they going to do to me? What's going to happen? And he didn't have anybody to turn to. And so it's like, you kind of, you don't want to put your human emotions onto it, but you have to, this wasn't just like, you know, we still did horrible things to this, this being that was scared. Nonetheless, you know, his whole crew is dead. Everything he knew was done. Like he knew that's it. This is, this is it for me. And it's just terrible. People don't think about that. Yeah. I think a lot of people, I mean, some of us do, um, you yeah. know, in, in the movie district nine, I think is the one with the, the camp of, Oh, the extraterrestrials. That's what I think would happen, unfortunately. And Kat made a comment. I think Kat is in healthcare. Kat, are, I think you're, aren't you in healthcare? Um, so it's physiology was human enough to do mouth to mouth and have it work. Um, right. And that kind of exactly. goes to show whether they, that kind of, I feel like that should give you a little more compassion knowing everything you just said. And um, thank you for accidentally contributing to Crash Retrieval Week because we ended up talking about Roswell. Um, <laughs> and it's a sad no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So she's a hospice worker. So, yeah, yeah. I thought so. Um, but, yeah, that's um, that's very, like, 
sobering to think about and somber, you know, like I'm a person where like, I can't kill anything. Like I kill a bug and I'm like, oh my God, I feel like disgusting. Like if I'm cooking food and I see like a bone or a vein, I can't eat it. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't, the thought of it just makes me like so nauseated, you know? Hearing it, hearing it always—it always bothers me too. And and there's so much passion for me on Roswell because not just of Alan Hynek, who I like admired and looked up to so much in his work because he did not believe in this at all. That's why he accepted the position within the government to work for Blue Book. Um, But he had his turning point with the Lonnie Zamora case. He had his turning point. There was a case that changed his mind. And if people don't know what that case is, look it up and read about it. Yes, yes. um, Josh Gates they did a thing on it, but I, I hate to even say this, but they were wrong on a lot of the information that was provided. Okay. Now, James Fox, who did make an appearance in that episode, God love James Fox. You talk about an investigator. He is fantastic. If you haven't yeah. seen some of his new, his latest, even oh, moment yeah. of contact, fantastic work. I love Great. his work. Great guy. Worked with my, <clears throat> with my mentor, Don on a, on a, on a film. I think it's on Netflix uh, or prime, no prime called the phenomenon. Also watch that one. It's another, another great really one. good one. Yeah. So you want the facts, you want the stuff, that's <clears throat> that's where you go. But the Lonnie Zamora case, there was there's depth to that case that is overlooked and it's not ruled out. And I will tell you right now, from all the investigation that was done on that case, Heineck himself, it was never confirmed or ruled out that it had anything to do with the NASA program. I actually have seen the letters myself saying that there was not anything to do with them. They were not doing any testing out there. And that they need to stop being informed that it was their stuff because it was not. So I've seen those conversational pieces between Heineck and the and the and those types of branches having those discussions. It was not theirs. It was nothing that they were working on. So there were, you know, something that just always admired me about that is that even he didn't believe it. And there was something that turned his, you know, his insight and opinion on it. But there, there's a torch there that's being carried from Roswell. And it bothers me to think that when my mentor is no longer here. Or those that are next to him in that in those chairs at Roswell who have fought the fought, who were chased down by government. The stories could be movies alone by the stories that they shared with me. Um, and, it, and you sit there and you go, when they're gone, who's going to carry that torch? So for me, I have a huge passion for Roswell for multiple reasons. And I can't let that torch die. That is still our smoking gun. And as long as I'm alive, I'm going to push for that case to become more relevant and more prominent in our mainstream again. Because it needs to be. Well, you have my support, and I'm sure you have a lot of people's support um, as the torchbearer. Um, you know, maybe one day when you do inherit this, because it sounds like eventually you will. Um, Kat says this has been her favorite um, chat all year. Thank you so much. Uh, when I met when I met Britt on uh, Vinny's channel, I was like, I have to talk to her like by myself. I'm you know? <laughs> so thank you so much for doing this. And I was nervous to ask you. She's been on like a, every TV show. She's at, you know, she's like, no. she has IMBD. So, and I remember seeing you on a show a long time ago and I was like, God, I want to talk to her on my channel. I was like, no, she's like big time. She's got like an agent and like you know, all this stuff. So I'm so glad no. that you came on. <laughs> I am so down to earth. Text me. You really are. I'm yes. I'm, you know, I'm a mom people. I'm a mm-hmm. wife. I'm a mom. I'm a normal person. It's just work. So Aside from that, I like to joke, have fun. I make funny reels because. Yes, her reels are you know, hilarious. Every time I, I see I, them, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I have so many people that are like, you know, I thought your page was supposed to be professional and you're supposed to be the professional ufologist. And I'm like, listen, I'm a you're human so being. Human. Let's have fun. Yeah. This field is fun. And I can't. 
I can't stress enough that if you live in the the in this field, it can sometimes get dark. Like the paranormal field can sometimes get very dark, especially when you're investigating or there's a lot of death involved or, you know, there's just so much that sometimes you just have to have some joy and, and light. And I want people to enjoy the field. We can have fun in the field and have fun and laugh and joke about our experiences or what we've done or what we've seen or, oh, my God, a, you know, bird flew out of cabinet. I thought it was an orb. <laughs> I mean, you have to have fun with it, you know, like it's part of life and within life there's humor. So right. for me, I like making reels that are prominent to my work. If I can make the audio work and go, oh man, I remember a time like I yelled at my husband. <laughs> like I want to make that into a reel, you know? I've used Medea's voice a couple of times on my reels because it's hilarious. So I'm like, yeah, you just have to have fun with it. I'm I'm all for about sure. having a good time. So you're gonna reach I'm different people that way too, because they're not gonna think you're some uppity, you know person so definitely um reach out to her if you have anything you know she seems yeah. um you're an amazing researcher extremely underrated i don't hear enough about you um even though you've been on tv i feel like um people need to talk to you more and your work needs to be out there more and i love your passion for roswell because that was i feel like that was everybody's first case but you're in a unique position to see so much that we haven't seen. So when you're keeping that torch alive, you're doing it with like passion beyond just as a, you're beyond an investigator, you care about it. So that's very, very important. Um, <laughs> Thank thanks, you. Laura. Um, <laughs> okay, see, you need to write a book. That's my thing. <laughs> a book. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I've you can probably turn your sticky notes into a book. It sounds like you're, you're bored. I probably could. <laughs> I am the worst. I have like so many, like, you know, when you go to the store and you buy like the, the books for school, like the, just the lined books. Like, yeah. Just oh, that's 97 cents. Buy it all. I literally have so many of those that I like just write notes in or like things that come into my head and I'll be like writing them down. They're all over the house. Like they're just half, like, they're half <laughs> filled out. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like if anything ever happens to me, my husband's going to be like, God, my wife was so weird. Like, I know. I'm like, what is going to bring all my random notebooks when I die? Like. <laughs> Someone's going to have a lot of fun reading through it. I'm going to tell you right now. Be like, werewolves in Ireland. What the heck was my wife on this night? No, it was real. Happened like in the that. 11th, 12th century. It happened, actually. Yeah. My goodness. Now we're talking about werewolves. That's another hour and a half, guys. But we will have, I'll have to have <laughs> you on again for cryptozoology stuff because I have a thousand questions about that as well. Hang out afterwards. Thank you for staying after. Thanks for talking about Roswell with such passion. And thank you for doing all the work that you do. Thank you to everybody in the chat, um, listening now, later, you know, yeah. wherever you are <laughs> on Anomalous Podcast Network, listening to audio only, watching later on YouTube, leave all the feedbacks, share, subscribe, like all that stuff. I still feel weird saying about that, saying that, but um, <laughs> share it because Brit, um, my guests have. I, I don't want to be like, oh, my guests are amazing, but I've had some pretty great guests, you know, some of them not so well known, some of them well known like Brett, but at the same time, um, I'm here to listen to what they're doing and what their work is about because it's important. And although maybe the, ha the first half of this show may have been for some of you kind of like, be maybe you already knew that, but there are new people coming to this subject every day that need to know these basics, especially with so much crap being shot up into the sky. So um, thank you for so talking much. about all that. <laughs> um, yeah. Hang out again. Um, hang out after I end the broadcast and I will see everybody. I'll have my new schedule up. I'm not sure what's 
next exactly because I'm going to be switching up the format of the show a little. But I know um, next month I'm going to be doing um, Tom Matt will be coming on to talk about his book, Jesus Goes to Hollywood, A Memoir of Madness, which is about all sorts of cool things, not just Jesus. And I don't even think it's really about Jesus. I have not read it. Um, I've only watched <laughs> him speak about it, but I met him and I, I follow his work, but I started reading his book a while ago on Kindle and never got to it. And now I have the actual book, so I'm going to read it in more depth now. So he will be on next month. And if you're wondering about the book club book of the month, it is Kelly Chase's UFO rabbit hole book. And um, that's going to be pretty awesome. She has an amazing podcast called UFO Rabbit Hole. And she's going to be like our, she's in our book club now, but we picked her book out of the hat to read. So make sure you get that and read that. We'll be meeting the first week of January. And then if you haven't heard already, Inquiry to Anomalous Phenomena is going to be in New York, which is going to have Leslie Keene there. Chris Mellon's going to be there. Whitley Strieber is going to be there. <laughs> Um, Jeff Kripal is going to be there. We still have online tickets for that. Check out my link tree if you need to get tickets. Um, and if I'm going to see you in New York, that'd be super cool. And other than that, I will see you guys soon. Have a great night.